Well, amen and good morning. I don't know if that was the right transition or not. It probably wasn't, so I apologize. That's all Pastor Shields gave me, so you can argue with him afterwards. Well, I, I feel um, really filled with uh, just gratefulness and gratitude uh, in light of Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, gosh, Melissa and I have been so grateful for the friendship that we've had with Brandon and Emily over the past few years, getting to know them better and uh, just enjoying their hospitality to us and uh, some good counsel uh, to us that we've received from them. And really more than anything, just friendship. Um, He mentioned being part of this network and um, that's how we really enjoy the benefits as pastors in this network, as wives, is just these uh, relationships that we're able to cultivate. And uh, it's a great thing for us, for them, and for everybody that's uh, involved in this. So um, as, he was, uh, as he was speaking, I was reminded of that again. He also, before the service, he said, hey, he goes, I can't wait to see what kind of digs uh, you're going to throw at me uh, before the service as a way to make yourself feel better and to prop yourself up. That's what, he, that's what your pastor said to me uh, before the service. I said, dude, I don't, I don't have any digs. I don't have anything for you. I, I'm just going to dive right into Psalm Four. So if you're not there yet, you can turn to Psalm 4, and uh, maybe I do have a couple of digs, after all. Um, they're not digs, though. They're distinguishing marks, okay? Um, because one of the things I enjoy about Brandon, as I'm trying not to look at him, but it's hard because he decided to go front row on me here, uh, is, man, we're just so different. Like, I don't know if there could be two different guys. I think that's why I like him so much. But one of the things he does, if you know Brent, you guys know him better than I do, is this is a brother that likes to overload his pockets a little bit, right? I mean, when you see Brandon, the dude has phones, keys, books. I don't know. I don't know what he puts in there, but I just know that there's a lot of stuff, right? And he adds about 75 pounds uh, to his general weight on there. I, I have a lot of stuff too. I just put it in my wife's purse because I like to be, you know, I like to be free in the, in the pockets. The other thing that's different about me and Brandon is I don't think you're going to hear me use the word integrate at any point uh, in my sermon this morning. And every time I've ever heard Brandon preach, he's used that word. I, I don't know how to count that high. So um, that's where we're at. But he uses it well. I just don't even know what that word means. So that's why I'm not able uh, to use it as well. But anyway, hey, thanks again for, for having me. Psalm 4 is what we are going to be diving into. It's actually known as a a trust psalm, is what it's called. If you get into the different types of psalms, it's known as as an evening psalm. It's really a devotional where King David is reflecting on his day. He's reflecting on his life. He's really reflecting on his current status. And what we're going to see is that this psalm is about the peace of mind that comes from trusting God alone in seasons of stress. And if there is one thing, um, man, that we are in short supply of right now as the church, it's having that trust that God has this thing under wraps, that he has this thing under control. One of the things I wrestle with as a pastor is peace of mind. You should know that. You should know that about the pastors of this church or the ministry leaders that surround you. One of the great wrestles that we have is with peace of mind. You know, the big joke in the church world is that the pastor only works one hour a week, right? Um, That's not true for me because our services are like an hour 15. I bump it a little further 
than that uh, during the week. That might be all Brandon works here at SOMA, and I'm sure he'd appreciate some email inquiries into that this week for sure, right? But I know that um, one of the things that, that it doesn't encompass when people make those jokes about what we do and maybe about some of the things that you do in your job and vocation is all of those moments when nobody sees you that you're wrestling with the thoughts of your mind and the weight of the day and the way that those things descend upon you and you have a hard time sort of weeding your way through all of those things that cause you so much stress. And so what we're going to see this morning is that David, the psalmist, wrestled with that same kind of stress. He wrestled with that same lack of peace in his mind. In fact, if you look down on Psalm 4, the final verse says this. It says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so what David is articulating in this statement is the universal longing of the human soul. And what he assures us of in Psalm 4 is that this kind of peace is possible. And David would know something about the longing for peace that we all feel. In fact, Psalm 4 presents us with a night in the life of David where all the trouble of the day was descending upon him. Today, the word we would use for that kind of trouble would be stress. Man, I'm stressed out is what we say. David was stressed out in Psalm 4. You could argue that David's life was like a, a case study in stress. I mean, most of us don't have bosses like Saul that set out on a manhunt to wipe us off the face of the earth, right? Most of us don't have sons like David did, like Absalom, who try to kill us because they want to be the boss. This was David's life. And although it was very different than the life we experience, we can experience the emotional strain and the pull that he communicates for us here in Psalm 4. And in fact, this is what we know as believers. We know that it is a work of God through Jesus Christ that Christians, that we, the church, have a God who bears our stress. That's what David recognizes here. A God who hears us. A God who helps us and supplies us with a very peculiar peace that's available through the work of his Spirit inside of us. And here is the tension, though. Here's the tension with me, and here's the tension with you, is many of us just wish God would be more like a magician for us. For the Christian life to be more like a a kind of a magic show where where God, you know, kind of floating in like Penn and Teller, you know, gets to prove himself to us by performing some magic tricks that make anything that is the slightest bit unpleasant disappear. But when we look at Scripture, and we get the narrative of Scripture, we see that God ordains those dark nights. He ordains our dark nights of the soul so that our souls will know what light is when it breaks through. God wants us to know something in these moments. He wants us to know the feel and the shape and the comfort of his rod and his staff, so that we recognize his face as we walk through those valleys of the shadow of death that David talks about in Psalm 23. So what we want to look at right now, just for a few minutes, is 
How does David approach God as he seeks peace of mind in these late hours of an unpeaceful night? Well, the first thing he does in verse 1 here is he gets honest about what he wants. Let's pick up with me in verse 1. It says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He says, You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. We'll stop right there. But the first thing is that David gets honest about what he wants. He's desperate. There's a desperation here, but there's not really a demand. He's not avoiding his pain, but he's appealing to God's righteousness. And by the way, not his own righteousness. David doesn't think God owes him anything, but he is recalling the times where God has provided him with peace of mind. You know, the Psalms are songs, actually, and so this is a a song of a man in agony as the woes of the day have turned into the weight of the night. David says, hear me. Will you just listen to me, God? There's some things here I want. Notice how the flow of David's words here speak more to the character of God than they even do to his own pain which is significant for us as we kind of back away and we consider the own stress of the day that descends upon us in those hours of the night when we just don't feel like we can escape it. It's often said that people only go to God when everything is wrong, when it's all going bad. And that may be true, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't go to him when everything is wrong, right? David shows us that one of the most profound prayers that you can pray and that I can pray is this, God help me. Does this remind you at all of yourself? Do you kind of read this and think, man, I I tend to only leave a voicemail for the man upstairs when everything's going south, so then it makes you kind of feel guilty and undeserving to go to him at other times. Does that sound familiar? Well, this psalm puts our mind at rest because what it shows us is that we're just going to be as undeserving when we go to him during the good times too. You don't go to God because you've been good. David is proof of that. But because God is good all the time, you go to him. And we see God uses these times of distress in order to stress our dependence more fully on him. David didn't think he had earned anything. He was appealing to God's righteousness and reputation as the reason he could call out to him in crisis. David gets honest about what he wants as the weight of the world threatens to win the night for him. Secondly, he gets honest about what he's up against. Verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies, David says. And then in 3, he goes, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David is a dude whose heart had become so oriented, even in his stress, even in his pain, 
it be, his heart had become so oriented toward the fame and the glory of God's name that what's most distressing to him, even in this moment of stress, is how his enemies, which by the way, in this case were men of rank, that they would slander God's reputation. Isn't that interesting? He knows that his enemy's real sin isn't against him, but it's against God. David asks, how long can you remain in that place and continue on that path? Because know this, God's people are safe from God's wrath. God hears their prayers. David can be honest with the enemy he's up against because he knows there's someone far more significant than himself who is against them. And we don't know anything in this particular cultural moment about lies and vain words right now, do we? I'm assuming nobody's been on social media for like years here at Soma, right? I mean, it just feels like we're drowning in some of the stuff, some of the junk that David's laying out for us right now. Like, man, we just can't take enough baths to rinse clean of this stuff because it feels like we're just coated in it. But God sets apart the godly. What a reminder from David. You know what this means? This means categorically the godly don't exist in a vacuum where God doesn't exist. Wherever you are is where God is. He has set you apart, Soma Church, so that you will not ever be apart from him. So be honest, like David, about what you're up against. Because if God has set you apart, it's more about who they are up against. And it's far more about who is for you, not against you. David gets honest about what he wants. But he also gets honest about what he's up against. And then he gets honest about what is actually needed in verse 4, he says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What he's doing here is something so strange, so bizarre when you consider the way we react right now to those people who are against us, who have different opinions than us, who have different views than us. David right here is encouraging his enemies to move into a place of self-examination. He's saying, as the day turns to night, let the Lord speak to you in silence so that you might find forgiveness through repentance and trust in the Lord so that you, my enemies, might be counted among the godly. What a strange heart for David to have laying in the silent hours of the night, stress out of his mind to pray for those who are causing his stress. He says, offer right sacrifices. A right sacrifice to God. Well, that would be a life that's a living sacrifice to him. It's saying this, listen, I'm laying everything I am at the foot of your altar. All the other gods of my life. They can't hear, 
They can't help. They can't provide me with anything I need. It's so interesting that David's heart is so given over to God that he has a heart for all those who need to be given over to God. We almost don't even know how to react to that right now. Because it's not hard to find someone who disagrees with you right now, is it? I mean, never has it been easier to find somebody who disagrees with you right now. Your coworker, your neighbor, your fellow church member. And you know the thing is this, they're probably wrong about some things. Don't shoot me, you're probably wrong about some things. Here's my question. What will you want to be remembered for after all this? After the election? After COVID, after all the social media blitzes going down before your very eyes every day, what will you wish you would have prayed? What will you wish you would have spoken up for instead of against? Now is the time to do what David did with those who were set against him. So get honest. So hard for us, isn't it, as the church, to be honest. Get honest like David about what is actually needed for you and for those you need to love before and after all these fires of disagreement have finally dimmed and died out. David shows us how to have a heart to actually do that when we get to verse Six, as he gets honest, not only about what is needed, but about what is true. Verse 6 says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. For you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And check the way he ends this. He says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So David's anything if not honest. But what he gets honest about at the end here is about what is true. Essentially, he's saying, look, the motivation of those who are worldly-minded is always what they can gain more of from the world. Their mindset is, what have you done for me lately? What's in it for me? What do I get out of the deal? The worldly-minded person's aim is to increase their wealth, all different kinds of wealth, right? There's, very, there's differing kinds of wealth. But the aim of the worldly-minded person is, what can I get from what God has to offer? Well, David, who, by the way, was a very wealthy king, desired a different kind of wealth. In fact, he, he echoes this old-school blessing from Aaron the high priest when he says, lift, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. In other words, here's what David is saying. God, remember your people. This could be what we might pray this morning. God, remember your people. Have favor on us. Bless us again. Let our true satisfaction be found by being pleasing to you, to be counted among the godly, 
That's enough. David says, I see what the world seeks after. I see the depths of their desires. I've seen how easily the world makes beasts out of those consumed by its pleasures. But then he gets honest about what is true. He says, but you have supplied me with something more satisfying than those whose happiness is tied to material success. He makes this shocking statement in verse 7, which I'll paraphrase. He says, I have more joy when my heart is full of God than when my belly, bank account, and wine cellar are bursting at the seams. I don't know if I feel that way often. I think I have more joy uh, when my belly is a little fuller. I think I have a little more joy when I'm confident about the number in my bank account. But we see a different kind of pattern here to David's prayer. He calls out to God for help. This wealthy king recognizing who he is, where he's at. He speaks to the cause of his distress. Could he have gotten more honest with God about where he was at? He pleads that his enemies would find reconciliation with God. When's the last time you prayed for your elected officials in that way? And then he finally comes back to remembering what has always been true about God, that God alone is the container of true joy and peace of mind. Here's what it is. David can be vulnerable under the covers of his own bed because his safety in this world is otherworldly. David knows something about the character of God that he takes with him into the hours of the night when God feels most distant. How do we do that? Do you know how to do that? Pastors are supposed to know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. But we do know some things about God when we are desperate for some peace of mind. We do know that firstly, God hears those who call his name. He hears you in those hours of the night when you call out to him by name. And some of you are just in constant distress right now, and there's probably some good and rational and irrational reasons for that. And some of you are like this walking version of these tornado sirens we have in my town that go off the first Wednesday of every month. Feels like the end of the world. Feels like a trailer to another, like, you know, apocalyptic, you know, movie coming out. David tells us something different. He says the people of God have a personal God who is always willing and always at the ready to listen to his people. Psalm 91 reminds us of this. It says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. That's the God we have. That's the God we so often misconstrue in our thinking. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Is not this what David was doing here? But Peter says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. And then this famous verse here that says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You think of God as being like the most caring person that you've ever known, but categorically is so far beyond that person in his levels and his layers of intimate and close care that he has for all of us. Do you think of God that way? I don't think I do very often. The God who spoke the world into existence is a father who wants to hear what's troubling you. He's not a therapist either, not a magician. He's a father who comforts you in crisis as you pour your cares out to him. Look at the state of David's heart by the end of this psalm, which, by the way, is short. This is like a pop song by the time he gets to the end of it. But it leads us into remembering that God hears those who call his name. And knowing God hears us is how we know we are known by God. Secondly, God helps those who bear his name. God helps those who bear his name. Consider who David was. Sometimes we forget, right? Because David is just this complex dude, right? He's out just slaying all these dudes. He's like, he's like slaying giants. He's like winning battles. And then he's home getting all arty, like writing songs and being all melancholy, writing poetry books, and like, you know, just hanging out at the local coffee house, like singing all these songs of lament. Like the dude was just a real contradiction in terms, right? And sometimes we just forget who David was. He was king, right? Consider the army of mighty men that were under this brother's command. Think about the level of authority he held over a nation of people who submitted to his rule. And think of the priests and the advisors and the, all, the, all the counselors he had at his fingertips. The interesting thing about David is that he never thought he'd become too self-sufficient or all-powerful to plead for God's help. He knew who he was. David knew he was just a man. He's just a dude. He was called. He was a king, yeah. But he was an earthly king who bowed before the throne of a far more significant heavenly king. So who is your go-to? Who is your go-to when you need help? Did God give David the kind of help that David wanted? I don't know. But he gave David the help David need because David asked God to meet his true needs, which were to be in God's presence, experience his reassurance, 
and his joy and his peace. Do you ever ask God for those things? Has that ever been part of your prayer? Do you ever ask God for anything? What this reminds us of is that if you plead with God for help, God will answer you in the weakness and the worry of your heart because you are somebody who bears his name. We're reminded of this in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God hears those who call. God helps those who bear his name. And then finally, God has peace of mind for those who trust his name. He also has peace of mind when we don't have anything in us that has any ability to trust his name. That's how kind and caring and compassionate God is. That's how intimately he knows you. He knows what you're able to do, and he knows when your strength is at a point to where all you're experiencing is those distressing hours of darkness, night after night. You know, everybody I have ever known has let me down. Let me just lay it out there. That's not a quote from Eeyore or Debbie Downer either, right? Because of that, because, I've, because I've, I've experienced disappointment from everybody in my world and in my life at some point, because of that, I can become stingy and I can lack generosity with my trust. It's like I diversify my trust, meaning I don't put it all on one person. I don't put it on God. There's a part of me that doesn't want to put all my eggs in God's basket. This is what's so interesting and so helpful for us in Psalm 4, is that when David is trusting God for relief and for joy and for peace, it means he's not thinking of backups. He's not imagining that just in case God fails, man, I got this massive army. Man, my general's on point right now. And like, man, those new chariots are looking sweet, right? So I should be okay. Like, he's not doing that. He knows the futility in that. I think we know the futility in that too. But we have a natural tendency in our flesh to snap back to that. David knows that his only recourse is God. If God chooses to use his army, his generals, or his chariots, he's going to do it. And many times he did and does. But it's not those things that are going to protect David, save him, or keep him secure. It's God alone. And by the way, God never failed David. And what a disaster of a life David had in so many ways. God never failed David. God has never failed you. Think about the depth of this statement. God has never succeeded in failing his people. And he's the only one. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, he has said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The experience that you've had with every other woman and man in your life, which is failings and disappointment, can never be true about God. And something happens internally when our hope and our reliance is placed on God over and over again, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it. We have 
peace, David says, in our lying down. Because the God that helped us in days past will be reliable in days to come. And all of us wonder right now, don't we? You know? Remember when this thing hit in March and everybody's like, you know, man, I'm still planning my vacation for May because surely this thing's going to be wrapped, right? We're all wearing our masks in October. All of us are wondering right now what one year, five years, ten years, what all this is going to bring. David reminds us that the future for the one who trusts God is not unknown in the sense that the reliability and the trustworthiness and the care and the compassion of God doesn't diminish. It doesn't come in fits and spells. How often do we need to be reminded of that? The best illustration I can come up with is flying, something we used to do. And there is one person you can trust in that plane, and it's the dude in the cockpit who you believe is well-trained, certified, and please God, sober. Right? And there is no, once that thing takes off, there is no backup plan. Unless you land in water and having rafts to float on in the middle of the Atlantic never sounds like super encouraging to me. Right? But the reason why I can enjoy a generous serving of peanuts and pretzels on my flight is because I trust that the pilot's going to land our plane, right? If I didn't, there'd be no peace. It'd be a white-knuckle ride every time. There is no backup plan in our life. Do we understand that? Do you get that? There is no backup plan in your life. God is not your co-pilot. He builds the plane. He flies the plane. He invites you to be part of his flight that he has paid for in a sky he's created, taking you to the destination he has planned before the foundation of the world. That's where you're at with God in this life. Praise God. What is the psalmist advocating for here? Peace of mind for the mind that trusts in God's trustworthiness. There's only one place to find it. And by the way, he's not missing any categories here either. And I need relief from stress for my enemies. I need reassurance. I need safety. I need sleep. I need all those things. There's nothing David is pleading for here that isn't at the heart of everything you desire. And by default, you and I are going to search for it somewhere. Does it ever occur to us that maybe we lack peace because we're trying to draw it from a person or a place where it doesn't exist. It's like trying to get fresh water out of a gas pump. And you go back every day, you put your card in, you click super unleaded, because all you guys drive nice cars here, right? And out comes super unleaded. The only problem is that you're thirsty. You need a water faucet, not a gas pump. A gas pump fuels your car, but it doesn't keep your body hydrated and alive. It'll keep taking your money, but it's not going to quench your thirst. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He said, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want 
and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things, he says, in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. David went to God to ask, to call God on his promises for that which he didn't deserve. Do you know that God is the least stingy person that has ever existed? A God who answers the call of such undeserving creatures has to be unfathomably good and gracious. And in those seasons where he answers you and he answers me by saying no or having us wait, that too is a gracious answer because it means he doesn't give us something harmful because that's how he answers the wicked, by giving them everything they want. So let me close by saying this, asking a few questions. Who wins the day in your life? What claims victory over your heart and mind when you lay your head down on the pillow in those moments where sleep escapes you? Who do you call out to in your mind? What we've been reminded of today is that God tells us that true peace of mind comes from the one who is our peace. True safety comes from the one who never leaves or forsakes you or ceases to uphold you with his right hand. True joy comes from the one who loves you enough to not, listen, give you substitutes. True relief comes from the one who sent his son to bear the greatest burden any of us will ever have. David's peace came from trusting in the reputation of God who never fails to answer when we call. Amen? Let's call to him now. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that the way that you answered David and comforted David and gave David what he needed in the dark hours of his stressful night, you provide for us through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you once again make these truths new and fresh in our hearts so that in those moments when we are sleep-deprived, we are stress-driven, we would call to you and we would remember the answer that you've given us. So Lord, I pray for this church. I thank you for its leaders. I thank you for their place in this community. I thank you for their commitment to the gospel, Lord, and I pray that it would grow stronger as they become more gracious in their reliance on you and loving for their neighbors and their community, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.